Welcome to White Pill Radio, the every other episode, roughly, version of Theology on Air, a ministry of theology by the pint. Uh, This is what I like to call a post-apologetic, ultimately hopeful, applied theology podcast that looks at the current events of the day in a Christian worldview. I like to say that this is blessed talk, but not happy talk. (laughs) Uh, So I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor here at First Lutheran. We'll introduce the crew in a moment. But we want to make sure that our listeners, A, have already subscribed to the podcast and our YouTube channel uh, so that you get all the updates on everything going on. But you go to Theology by the Pint to learn about upcoming events. Uh, We have some, we have one on Purgatory in a couple of days. Probably too late for that. Maybe we have a few seats. If you slip us a hundred, maybe we'll see. (laughs) Make it happen. But do go to theologybythepint.org to learn about our events, our people who make this whole thing work, and all of that. Uh, did I leave anything out? No, sounds that? good. All right, well, with us is the Grand Poobah of Theology by the Pint, Sarah Stone. Hey, guys. And Mace and Scotty, will you guys introduce yourselves? Tell us about your church. Uh, Are you the you Grand Poobah of anything? Like Nothing. nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm Mace. I am a church planter in the city, planting a church called the Journey Church Houston, or the Journey, for short. Or just Journey. Yeah. I'm just being silly. Have a website? Uh, Thejourneyhouston.org. Okay. Maybe you said that, but sorry if I didn't hear it. I did not. (laughs) Thank you for that. Scotty Swingler. I'm the student pastor at Sugarland Baptist Church. I feel like I've become Theology by the Pints resident youth minister guy, and it's a blast. And come visit us if you live in Southwest Houston, right off 59. Good place to plug in with your family. Yeah, tell us what all the youngsters are up to these days. Youngsters. You know, the, well, eh. they don't call themselves youngsters for a while. <laughs> okay. Um, Shucks. Do they, put like a, Shucks. do they do like a pack of cigarettes in their arm and like oh, roll up the sleeve? Oh, that's that's, so cute. that's really cool. I like it when <laughs> youngsters do that these days. Yeah, Gen, anyway. Z lo- Gen Z loves cigarettes. You should ask them about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, that's kind of a cool thing about younger generations. Like they're kind of health conscious. So yes. know, they're like not drinking, you know, Coca-Cola. Um, but they're vaping. Hopefully they av- avoid the aspartame too. But, oh um, my gosh, yeah. move along. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, well, we got a lot going on this week. We got the Super Bowl ad a lot of people are talking about. We got churches for unbelievers. Anyway, a lot of fun stuff we're going to be talking about on this episode, so stick around the whole time. Uh, we'll try to talk so fast that you don't have to do it at two times speed, maybe one and a half. But anyway, Mace, <laughs> I make no off. promises for that. Kick us off, Mace, with this controversial ad about foot washing. How could that be? I know, right? Yeah. So uh, in the Super Bowl, there were a couple ads. Um, I'll just read a couple lines here from an article from the Associated Press. It said, for the second year in a row, a religious Super Bowl ad campaign promised viewers that Jesus gets us. Two commercials shown Sunday night centered Jesus' message to love your neighbors, even across ideological divides. And one... People of different races, classes, and gender expressions have their feet washed, including a woman outside a family planning clinic. Family what? planning clinic is um, where people go to get abortions. Just yeah. to, okay. Yeah. It's a euphemism. Well, not everybody might know that. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So this Let's was jump controversial. Right yeah. Um, yeah. So Scotty mentioned he, he liked it. D- tell us what you had kind of heard or thought about or heard or talk about man okay so these ads have been going on for a long time right he gets us is not new Mm-mm. uh like the article said they did they had a super bowl ad last year mm-hmm. and i was a little surprised by the outrage that that popped up online that evening and monday morning i uh, had a conversation with a co-worker i don't i don't understand why this is a hot why is everything in our culture a hot button we got to fight about it i don't understand we're talking do about a podcast about it um <laughs> that's right and and here we are talking about it so um i have a take but i think it would be helpful if i heard why it's 
has caused outrage. I'm, I'm curious about the machinations of it. So, Sarah, you have some experience in terms of like, how, like, how does it work? Like, okay. what's the point of spending ten million dollars on an ad, which is the development and the airtime is, is about what this cost? I mean, that's a lot of money. So, we're making a choice to say not get people off the street, for example, or something like. We're making a choice to do what to to what? What is the ultimate goal of? how they work, how they get people in churches so, or whatever. So the church that I worked at for a long time, I don't think they would mind me saying this because they were very public about it. We were part of, I don't know if it was like beta testing, but it was before it had launched the first Super Bowl ad. Um, he gets us as owned by this other nonprofit company and their heart is to um, spread the gospel. And so, I mean, instantly we were on board and that sounded amazing. They work with another, like a clearinghouse kind of app called Glue. I don't know if that's who they're still using. So that it is. Um, okay. And so I used to be one of the people that would receive the messages from these people that would see the ads. Um, they pop up on Instagram or whatever you're doing Google searches, especially if you're searching for things about like maybe anxiety or depression or loneliness or whatever. Um, and we had several meetings like, do we want to be a part of this? What do we like? What do we not like? We could kind of experimented with it. And at the time, I was all in. And some of the other people in the group, at the time, I thought maybe they were being kind of cranky about it. And now I'm like, oh, I think they were seeing some things before I did. Like, when people go on the, um, if you click something, and then it asks you if you want to make a connection with someone in your community, because you do it by zip code. Um, for starters, it, that process does not happen quickly. In fact, just to test this out for the podcast, two days ago, I went ahead and went to the He Gets Us page and submitted what I think maybe was a crest. It's really not as clear now as it used to be. And I haven't gotten anything. I haven't mm -hmm. been connected. But the bigger issue at the time was that um, you could be connected with any churches that had said yes to being a part of this. So that could be a Mormon church. That could be like a crazy fundamentalist Baptist you know, and when I say fundamentalist Baptist, like I mean, no, like IFBC. I mean, like the independent fundamentalist yeah. Baptist yeah, that yeah, we yeah. featured on our fringe groups. Um, or who knows? Like, there's no vetting of the churches. There's no making sure these churches are remotely orthodox. Um, so that was some concern. But still, and there were some other concerns I won't take our time with. But we still did it. And I had a lady that, like, came with me to church because of it. I mean, I've been in the mix with this thing. And I've had long conversations, long email conversations with people who are really struggling with their faith. So there is something good happening there. That said, my issue with the He Gets Us campaign is that it has only gotten further and further removed. And I scoured their website last night from actually telling you who Jesus is, what he wants from you, what is the gospel. There's a lot of talk on there about how... Um, you know, we, we're not all even followers of Jesus, but we all agree that he's a great dude. We all agree that he forgives and he loves and, and, and everything they're saying is true, but it's just not the whole story. And right. so I, I went on the website thinking, I want to know more about how Jesus can change my life. And I could not find it. Hmm. I found things like he wants us to love our neighbors. Why? Because he wants us to be empathetic. And yeah, I think Jesus does want us to be empathetic, but that's not the primary reason. He said, love God and love others as a response to the fact that you have you have surrendered your own life to this creator rescuer king mm -hmm. right there's i can't find anything on the website about that i also can't even find a spot on the website that says like i want to talk to someone or i'm curious about jesus it's all like do you want to be connected with us um like the he gets us campaign or it's just all of this stuff about jesus isn't about hate he's about inclusivity yeah. well, anyway that, i've talked a lot but well, that that the last message of the ad is he didn't come to hate. He came to, I don't know, serve or something. Jesus didn't feet. teach hate. He okay. washed feet. Why, why, why does that need to be said? Who, who, who are the Christians out there hating? 
So who, who, what what who are the Christians who who are the people on planet Earth who need to be rescued from a hateful church from from people going around preaching Jesus in such a way that they could not possibly understand that Jesus I don't know loves us or died you know but the message of Christianity someone tell me so, so I knew this is where we would differ on approach okay we have a perception in America of the church especially the conservative gospel preaching Orthodox Church. There's a perception that we are exclusive, mm -hmm. that we are hateful, that we are um, judgmental. judgmental. Right. Right or wrong, justified or unjustified, that is the perception in our culture. And we must address the perception of us in our culture, right or wrong or otherwise. Um, and, and I'm a big fan and advocate. I bet this word is uh, maybe triggering for someone to my right. <laughs> we, we, we have a responsibility to be winsome. I mm -hmm. think in our culture. I love um, the word winsome. So I love, so I pulled up some examples in scripture. Where's where that in um, the Bible? So Acts 17. Talk? So oh Acts gosh. 17 is a great example. I'm going to Athens in three weeks. I can't wait. Um, went there last year too. We have a partner church there that we, that we serve with. And, um, Athens is less than 0.01% evangelical Christian in, in Greece and, and super, super needs for spreading the gospel. When Paul walks into Athens, mm -hmm. he does not name Jesus. He does not lead off with accusing people of sin. He observes the culture around him and he says, look at all this art and these temples and, and you have all of this pantheon of gods. And he says, and I noticed mm -hmm. that over there it says, this is to an unknown God. And I want to tell you which God that is. And I want to tell you it's the one true God. And he progressively works his way down and he does call for repentance. Mm -hmm. But it's after a hearing in which... He sees their cultural perception. He acknowledges their cultural perception. Um, he doesn't immediately come out swinging with, um, you need to be monotheistic, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But he takes their uh, cultural understanding of something. He comes at Works it winsomely, it. Mm -hmm. um, not hypercritically, but he reasons with them through towards Jesus. Okay. Very different culture, <laughs> very different time and place. Um, I have more to say, but I feel like I've talked too long. Uh I admire that this campaign wants to say, we understand the cultural perception is you're hateful, you're judgmental, you're spreading hate, fair or unfair, that's the cultural mm -hmm. perception at large. And so let's illustrate the message of Jesus, um, which someone uh, said, well, this makes Jesus serving us. No image is Jesus washing anyone's feet in these in this ad, actually. Um that's a foot washing series on Instagram. A lot of people are thinking of, uh, this is humans washing other humans feet mm -hmm. asking for us to, again, show love and compassion across lines. I wrote down all the lines that they pointed out, um, oil field and environmental protester, mm -hmm. right? Um, all sorts of things. And so anyway, I agree with a hundred percent of what you just said. And, and if, and if the conversation stopped there, we could just, you know, I couldn't joke that you're a flaming liberal, but. And you're still not. But um, my problem is, what do you do then? Because Paul didn't just go in and say, right. I see an unknown God. Did you know the real God is different than you think? And then walk away. Um, when you go to the He Gets Us website, try, like try to find a place where it talks about us having a problem that needs to be addressed. Not a problem of exclusivity or judgmental, you know, all of that kind of stuff. A problem of like sin or selfishness or yeah. that we've given our allegiance to a false God or the world. This is just, I mean, I went through the whole thing. Who do we think Jesus is? It says some of us here on staff think he's who he said he was. Some of us. 
and but then even, it doesn't fully and then it doesn't even explain, explain like that. what that means um it does say that he died and that's good that says this is just one line that i that it says that i think encapsulates the whole thing this is the love jesus taught selfless love that doesn't come with any conditions or require any payment in return that sounds so lovely but as a believer who I've been thinking a lot, I'll say this when I get to my article, about the church recently, that's just not true. It, that it doesn't come with any conditions or any payment. It came with the most costly payment. And I don't think they talk about – and I'm referring, of course, to the death of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. And then he does require something of us. He requires our whole lives. He re- he says to obey him and surrender to him. And of course, then, then we flourish with that. And so it's actually very, very, very good news. But the love isn't removed when I run away either. No, the love isn't removed. And I'm not even taking so much issue with the word condition as I am about payment. Hmm. Like there, there is there, a cost. That's fair. Yeah, right, right, right. There, there's always this confusion when we talk about grace of, you know, the, the grace that saves, but, you know, then how do we live? So mm-hmm. this is cheap grace. This is quintessential cheap grace, you know. So, you know, Bonhoeffer kind of famously says, well, grace is free, but it's not cheap, you know. Mm-hmm. And so – um so yes, in, in our terms of our salvation, there's nothing we can do to earn it. This is classic, you know, Reformation dogma, biblical, you know, Pauline dogma. Yes, there's nothing we can do. Works do not save, etc. Also, as a Christian, you have to love your neighbor. That, that law abides. How do you love your neighbor? Now let's put it, some meat on those bones. Now, now, now you have to exercise limits to what your marriage looks like. Now you, now you exercise mm-hmm. limits in how you spend your money. You exercise limits in how you raise your children. Every aspect of your life is going to be governed by the love of Christ and how you love your neighbor. So this idea that there are no, 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 condi- well, there's no conditions in the sense that you can't earn your salvation, but there are conditions right. on what it looks like to follow Jesus. And they, they, they very purposely picked hot button issues. And they are, they are forcing people like me to, to, um, sound critical of the love of Christ by saying, Oh, well, the love of Christ, uh, doesn't apply to someone who's had an abortion. Well, no, the love of Christ does apply to mm-hmm. someone who has had an abortion, who has repented of killing their own child and come to Christ for forgiveness. And yes, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of sins can be offered to that person. But you don't go to someone in the midst of sin who is, you know, has their middle finger up to God and say, it's fine how you are. No. So maybe, so, maybe Paul was winsome. He was also run out of town a few times. Let me finish. <laughs> but the first words of Jesus and John the Baptist are repent and believe. So, the, the the idea that Paul was you know con- conciliatory. Paul was hated. Paul Paul was beaten. Paul f- had to fend for his life mm-hmm. multiple times. The idea that he wasn't controversial. No no no. He was. They, all of the great preachers, all of them, were very controversial. So this is non controversial. So so you are equivalent. You are saying the image of of one washing another's feet is is affirming of everything they are and everything they do. The, the, the I would say is, that is not the image of washing someone's feet. I would say that that image is I am willing to serve you, love you, and care for you even when I disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, in John four, when Jesus approach, approaches the Samaritan woman at the well, he gets to repentance. Right, he does. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. says, "Okay, you're right. You, you, you've had multiple husbands. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah." repent okay but he starts with hey could you could you serve me a drink and it starts this conversation about living water and it starts this and and so what i see this as and this is what i think they intend this as sarah it's a conversation starter and so you mentioned you mentioned before we started tracking right if if millions of people have googled the name of jesus because of this ad i'm celebrating it man um we've we've also partnered with the same organizations you were mentioning earlier at sugarland mm-hmm. baptist church and we've had Multiple people come to faith through this, uh, hmm. the glue connection, people mm-hmm. join our church. We have a whole ministry team that does online outreach started by this. Um, 
And so I'm a little biased because I've seen, I think, some of the positive results of said campaign. Yeah. And I, think, I have too. I think the main, sort of in the middle the main place where I just disagree, I don't think this ad is trying to teach anyone how to follow Jesus. I don't think this ad is trying to present a gospel presentation. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay too. But when are they going to do that? That, that, so I also find myself kind of in the middle mixed feelings. I, I would affirm a lot of the positives that have been mentioned here. Um, I do think it's most correctly labeled as pre-evangelism, yes. not evangelism. It's, it's meant to be a conversation starter. Uh, and in that sense, it worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, even me, even me getting ready to come on this podcast, like I reached out to some of my non-Christian friends and said, Hey, did you see this? What's your take on it? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it worked. I also think another angle of it that I haven't really heard, um, expressed is I do think a Christian should watch an ad like that. And before we jump on any criticism we have, we should ask ourselves, we should have a moment of self-reflection of like, am I? truly modeling and living out the love of Christ that reaches across all these barriers. So those are positives. I also share a lot of the concerns that have been shared here. Sarah's concerns. I was like, I can lump up a lot of my concerns under confusion Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. even, okay, I get it. This is a funnel, right? The the ad is the top of the funnel. What's the next step? Right. It's going to their website. And I did the same thing. I scoured their website. Um, Tucked in one of their FAQs on who they believe Jesus is, there's a couple of orthodox statements, but what I found interestingly missing was the cross, Mm -hmm. which when Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, I pass on to you things of most importance, the first thing he lists is Jesus. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So I would like more clarity. Um, To Scotty's point about perception, the range of reactions I've seen from non-believers either are to the point on perception, we can watch an image like that and it and understand that washing someone's feet, which I think is a symbol for humbly, sacrificially serving them, which tangential point, part of what my brain got confused on was that's from a scene where Jesus is telling his followers to love other followers though he absolutely told us to love the world. So this is tangential point. But, okay, we can understand that that's what is meant to be conveyed by the image of washing people's feet. But one of the my friends who I reached out to, they said, oh, I think it's a message that I can get behind that we should be inclusive of all. And, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. You know, I immediately want to follow, like, what do you mean by that? Loving of all, yes. Welcoming of all, yes. Affirming of all and all life choices, I can't do that, but yeah. I, I get the sense that my friend interpreted it that way. Well, and it was you had, meant to be interpreted that way. And then you have people um, that had the same critique that Evan did, but from a non-believing standpoint, which was the financial cost mm-hmm. of it, yeah. you know? Right. And so I found myself, I agree, there is a place for being tactful. There is a place for being winsome. But there also is a very real reality that you can't please everybody. And that non-believers are going to find something to criticize, despite our best effort. Last thing I'll I'll say, uh, just right or wrong, my immediate gut reaction, seeing who's who was washing whose feet, and I can think I I can probably try to figure out the reasoning behind it, but it felt very pandering left, washing right to me. You have a police officer washing a black man's feet. 
You have a white man washing a Native American man's feet. You have a white woman washing an immigrant woman's feet. You have a white woman washing a Middle Eastern woman's feet. You have a white priest washing a gay black man's mm -hmm. uh, feet. I've even seen some people interpret that as gender fluid or, or transgender. Mm -hmm. uh, you rarely see someone that's generally associated with the left washing the feet as someone mm -hmm. that's generally associated with the right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has political undertones and not the, they're well, not me, that let undertone me, let, me, let me ask a question. Um, See, I, I disagree with you. You all, um, y'all, y'all are saying, "Oh, it's a funnel. It, it's getting people to ask questions." No, no. If, if if this is the only exposure they have, and it's a bad representation of Christianity, mm. it's doing more harm than good. So this lack of clarity, this pandering, it's ultimately doing more harm than good. Um, no, if we're going to spend the money, then let's do it on what the actual gospel actually is. Yeah. All this is doing is, it, it, and, and here's the big takeaway. I mean, besides <laughs> the particulars, the big takeaway is that it's still about you. He gets mm. us. Really? I thought the, I thought the point of the gospel proclamation was for us to get God. Hmm. Or is, so is this a man-centered thing where, where we're so weak and broken, we need God to come and give us a big snuggly, you know, teddy bear and make sure everything's okay? Or do we live in, in service to Christ? Do we, do we bow down in submission to our King? Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is an amazing podcast episode, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology by the Pint is growing. We are now a 501c3 nonprofit organization and we're expanding. This coming year, with your help, we'll grow our reach by adding events in multiple Houston suburbs, as well as launch a youth version. Don't worry, those will be pints of iced coffee, not beer. Uh, we're adding follow-up conversations to reach the spiritually curious and the unchurched. We're also growing our connections and partnerships with more local churches. And you can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, by partnering with us financially. To donate, go to theologybythepint.org forward slash give. You know, if each of our podcast listeners gave $100, we would reach our annual budget right then. Consider donating today. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. What? Which one is the message of the church? And, and here's the gospel message, right? That God loved us so much that God stopped being content to send prophets and laws mm -hmm. and angels, but God came. <laughs> God came to us mm -hmm. to walk in our shoes, to understand us. Hebrews 4 says he empathizes with us. Yes. He gets us in every way, it's a, including it's like, our it, temptation to but sin. But it's like Sarah right? said, it's, it's omission. And, it's and because, because Jesus reached to us first, right? Uh, because Jesus in his love did come to understand, walk, demonstrate holiness, but we take die, okay, and okay. rise. But we take advantage of that. Okay, we, we say, oh God, thank you for condescending to us. Now... We're going to demand, okay, that that you ex you accept us as we are because you came. I guess I I guess again, going back ten minutes ago, I don't think <laughs> I I read that ad as I'm demanding that Christians coalesce or I'm demanding that God coalesce. I read that as Christians, humans. Jesus invited us to serve and love one another across our political and ideological lines. And this is, this might be where I'm the flaming liberal, Sarah, but <laughs> if we're talking about who's washing whose feet, we are talking about, I do believe, um, people who, uh, have generational and cultural power and people who don't. Um, that is shifting. That is changing. Uh, I'm, I'm not all about marginalization and, and power dynamics as maybe, um, CRT folks would be. Um, but if we think about who are the people, that again, cultural perception. These are the people Jesus doesn't love. These are the people the church doesn't love. These are the people I was thankful 
uh, to see the representation. I was. And when I, when I talk to my friends who don't believe, um, this is what they want to know. Does God love me? Does God care? Um, what, what is the person's responsibility to the church? I mean, this who's, is this tells this, te- this tells us this tells me the church's responsibility to the world is that hey, you know what, you need your feet washed. Come on, I'll do it. No questions asked. What is the person's responsibility to the church? Do we only need to help homeless people out of homelessness if they accept Christ first? No, I wouldn't say that. Okay, I'm, so, I'm asking. So what? I so I would agree. Yes, the church's job is to serve the world. On the other hand. Uh, if there is a, an actual homeless ministry that mm-hmm. actually wants to make a person whole and help them in their whole life, then they must hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. That that must be central to the to the to the treatment. And I do think that uh, I mean this gets into the barbecue thing we're going to talk about later. But um, homeless ink is a massive problem. Massive uh, homelessness is an industry, and it's never going to solve the problem. Um, so I'm actually pretty black pilled about most of most homeless ministries. To but be we'll save that yes. for a second. I, the, here's the last thing I want to say about this, and maybe we can segue to our next thing, unless you guys want to fight some more. But um, the 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 he gets us campaign I would put in the same category as certain maybe mega churches or certain philosophies in the sort of Christian orbit where people will say, well, listen, that's a great first step. It's a yes. gateway. Like when you talk about, say, the prosperity gospel, people are like, hey, listen, someone could go to XYZ church and that's where they meet Jesus. And then that's the first step along their journey where they really learn what Jesus wants from them, blah, blah, blah. I don't like that way of doing things. But even if I did, this is where this falls short, which is why I ultimately come down sort of against the ad, not because the ad was like intersectional or whatever, though it's like, okay, we get it. White people are villains every, okay, okay. But let's just say I was fully on board with that being the first step. The second step sucks. Hmm. Like the the website is beautiful, but I could not figure out hmm. yesterday how to just talk with someone about my own anxiety. Everything where it was like you could click on it to join or give them your email address seemed like you were wanting to join in on the He Gets Us campaign. Hmm. Didn't even seem like it was like, there was nothing. I want to know more about Jesus Hmm. or I want to know what it takes to be saved. I want to know about eternal life. I want to know about obedience. I mean, there was nothing about that. Hmm. And then, and the frequently asked questions, one of the questions is, are you trying to get people to go to church? Like, is that your agenda? And they say, no. He gets us as not against the church, but we're not a back to church campaign. But that would be great if they were. And then later talk about their agenda being to have people explore and be curious about Jesus. That's awesome. But somewhere there has to be an answer about who Jesus is and what, not just what he's done for you, but what he asks of you. And I just think that's so missing that it's just such a lost opportunity to pour all that money into. But, but I am, but God will still use it. This is the, this is the white pill, right? I mean, even I don't think they intended this for evil. But even if they did, God can use it for good. And you have experienced that. And I've experienced people coming with me to church through this. I still wouldn't give them any money because I don't think they're doing it well. Right. And I don't I don't think the – I mean, God uses all of us despite our foolishness. Mm-hmm. All, he uses all of our churches despite their imperfections. Right. But it doesn't validate whatever he is, whatever he's using necessarily. And ultimately, my critique is the same as Sarah's. Um even if I, as I try to interpret everything in as positive of a light and as charitable of a light as possible, if you're going with this funnel analogy, it take it seemingly takes multiple steps to get to mm. an actual clear gospel presentation, which I know very little about like web 
creation or web design do or they anything have like a that. Clear gospel but I know that well, uh, okay, then it's not multiple. Steps the more the more clicks you go, the more you lose people, and that right, that's right, my right. primary concern. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because Ultimately. it's not intended to give a clear gospel proclamation because that's not the goal. I mean, if I was if I'm going to be really honest, um, you know. Uh, a leftist ideology has infiltrated the Christian church for well over a hundred years. It's been well documented. Um, I've lived through it in, in the latter, you know, stages of the 20th century. Um, and obviously well into the 20th and 21st century. Um, you know, I think it was Jay Greshamation or one of those mm-hmm. old great reform guys who was like, you, liberalism is not Christianity. It is I've a read false that book. gospel. It I is have a, too. It is a different gospel. So uh, I, I subscribe to that. Uh, I think that essentially um, at the end of the day, de- I mean, depending on how you define liberalism, but the two are incompatible. Um, and so when 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 I see a left-like uh, movement <laughs> that comes in and it presents an alternative gospel, <clears throat> Galatians 1, it's unacceptable. It is, it is intolerable. So I... I Two responses to what all of you said, and then I'll shut up. Yep. No. Um, <laughs> it's funny that all the alternative gospels in uh, uh, in the Bible were to the right of Jesus, um, but uh, not necessarily. Here's, Paul, Paul Sloan would argue with you about that. That would be fun. Yeah. Here, here's my response. Right, I have lost friends. Uh, we all have lost friends. Um, I want them to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not care if they walk into the most progressive church that looks nothing like mine. I don't care if they walk into your church, your church, your church. I want them to meet Jesus. Um, but who is and, Jesus? And, That's the whole point. Well, Jesus is the God who saves us by his grace. And, and, and what is I grace? just, and, and you guys, listen, nice. you guys know this, right? I, I, uh, I take a big table, big tent view as often as I can, ecumenical as often as I can, man. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying. And I think if there's, you've convinced me, if there's valid criticism, it's you made it very unclear <laughs> or, or difficult to walk to next steps. Um, and maybe that's a criticism of the website and not the ad itself. But, uh, man, I, I hear all this. We, I think there's a desire that we want them to get like <laughs> this one strain of gospel. And I'm going to tell you, I've got a friend right now who walked into the most progressive church in Houston a couple months ago, and I am cheering it on and begging them to keep going because I just want them to to be pursuing Jesus. That is the best segue for this next article because I could not disagree with you more. Um, I know, I know, let's go, let's go. And I think I would have said that like 10 years ago, go to any church, find a church that feels good to you and let that be the first step. Um, I, When you say the most progressive church, I think there's a point where- The most I mean, progressive church I would consider okay. orthodox. Oh, well, okay. So maybe then we actually do agree because it's there not could this. be a church that- thinks differently about, say, like stances on women in ministry or something, or has different thoughts about baptism or eschatology or a million other things. But there are churches here in Houston and all over the world that aren't teaching like what the Bible actually teaches. And at that point, if you really think souls are on the line, like at some point, it's like, yeah, inclusive, inclusive. Like, can we talk about your soul? Can we talk about eternity? Can we talk about allegiance to Christ? If a church isn't teaching any of those things, then I don't consider that a real church. Which brings me to the next article we're going to look at, um, which come, it's all over, but the one I grabbed was from the Washington Post. It's about these new churches that are popping up. And I don't know that this is actually so new. I can think of a few here in Houston that are just like this. Um, but this is how it starts. It says, 20 minutes outside downtown Atlanta, Vinings Lake sits by a humming thoroughfare. Okay, we don't need all that. But 
It says it has this church, quote, quote, has a white steeple and brick exterior, could be easily mistaken for another Southern Baptist church adorning America's Bible Belt. But facade aside, the community no longer thinks of itself strictly as a church. We're an ever-evolving spiritual collective, the pastor said to those gathered in the dimly lit sanctuary on a rainy Sunday in early December. If you're a Christian, wonderful. If you're post-Christian, wonderful. Okay, then this is the paragraph that got me. Vinings Lake is one of a handful of spiritual communities across the United States sprouting from the soil of the ex-evangelical and deconstruction movements. We've talked a lot about this, those things on this podcast. While their Sunday morning gatherings retain the basic structure of many Christian services, music, teachings, fellowship, these collectives reject dogma, prefer questions over answers. By the way, prefer questions over answers Jesus did too. That's not some new thing. Um, and have no intention of converting anybody to anything. There should be crickets there. Here, LGBTQ inclusion is not up for debate. People of all faiths and no faiths are welcome. And Jesus, this is the line where let lightning not strike. This is a quote. This is not me. Jesus <laughs> can be a savior, a radical rabbi, or a metaphor, depending mm. on your spiritual inclination. Mm. Okay. So I think the reason why this article got me um, – when I submitted it for today is because I, well, first of all, this is ridiculous, but I've been teaching in my own women's Bible study. We've been going through Revelation. We're just at the beginning of it. And the second and third chapters of Revelation, which really set the scene, one, two, and three set the scene for all of Revelation, yep. is these letters or postcards or messages, whatever, to the churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus takes, and they're from Jesus. It's Jesus' words. They're like red letter to these churches. And he takes church, the church, really seriously. In fact, I kind of got on my soapbox the other day. I had to act at the end tell my my Bible study, like, I'm sorry, I got a little preachy there because there was there was some talk about like, maybe it's not that important. Church isn't really what's important. God is what's important. And I was like, you know, the church, that's the believers worldwide. Um, that's the bride of Christ. That's, right. that's the imagery that's used all throughout the New Testament. And his and, body. And his body. Jesus cares about his bride. And yeah. And he cares about the fact that we're doing things the way that he says to do them. And we're not falling under these like false teachers or false philosophies that are just so tempting. And this article is basically the modern version of the Artemis worshiping or imperial cult worshiping mm. or pluralistic kind of syncretism that we look at the Bible and we're like, oh, they're so silly. Or we look at the Old Testament, we're like, they fell for all that stuff with Baal. That's so crazy. We would never do that. And here we are watching these, quote, churches sprout up that are saying Jesus can be a savior. Bro, he is a savior. Yeah. That's who Jesus is. Right. That's all. I mean, like, that's not all he is. He is Lord. <laughs> he's king. And it, like I said before, he actually requires something of us. Repentance, belief, obedience, which is not to say that he doesn't love us when we're disobedient. Right. I want to be very clear. I'm I'm a big fan of grace. Um But this is, I think, just so gross. And I think Jesus actually hates it. I don't think it's like, oh, well, it's the first step. No, it's the first step to something, but it's not the first step to anything that Jesus would want. So I'll give you my white pill mm -hmm. later, but thoughts? Uh, it's not really that new. It's called the Unitarian Universalist yes. Church. I mean, <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I went to these churches in college, like when I was going through a little phase, and and it was like, we believe in you nothing. You went through a phase? I want to meet we, that Evan Can we right talk about now. that for a second? He's lame. You were a Unitarian? No, nah, he was fun. No, I mean, I visited he other churches, lost. and it was it was the same thing. It's like, well, I mean, the guy, I don't know, had a PhD in psychiatry or something. He was obviously very bright, got in a lot of trouble doing some inappropriate things with people he was counseling later. But oh, no. whatever. I mean, this this is not like a new thing. There's also 
this is this is you know dog bites man or man bites dog right this is there's i don't know maybe 300,000 churches in america or something like that there's maybe like 20 of these you know what i mean there's a lot more than that i was i think there's a lot more i don't think they're all calling themselves there's a lot more than that spiritual how many how something many, for the these, okay. these communities are in every major city in america and there's dozens of them in every major city well, in okay yes. so let's say there's it's potentially increasing 300 to 300,000 that's all i'm saying. i'm i'm look i i i do think it says something i think it points to some sort of trend i think best case scenario it points to people's spiritual yearning even though they're you know if they're not orthodox christians or you know they're looking for community and you know that's that's all good um but yeah i don't think jesus is real happy with people you know sitting around going well i like this about you and i like that and right. you know it's like the cafeteria approach right, right. um I mean, I I just and it's like we're not dogmatic. Well, I mean, I'm sorry to be so pedantic about it, but well, are you dogmatic about that? I mean, right, right, on. right. It's, it's <laughs> you know, absolutes are kind of unavoidable in this, and um, I I'm pretty convinced that mm, if I went and or if any of us went and insisted on, we'd be unwelcome. Well, only that, time and exactly, and I think you know, Sarah said it's a step to something. My that was my first take. It's it's a step towards ultimately imploding. Because you have no actual solid rock to mm-hmm. base on. There's you know, nothing actually uniform. Right. You know, it's like, oh, well, we, we share values. Based just, on what? What's by, the standard? By what standard? Yeah. Right. That's what right. I found myself wanting to do. Uh, you know, my white pill angle, kind of similar to Evan, is, you know, I think it's evidencing that even when people are trying to punt traditional Orthodox Christianity, they cannot totally rid themselves of their God-given need for spirituality and community. Right. Agreed. And so can we, to use Scotty's, use that as our starting point, right? You know, that meet people in their place of need through relationships and help them take steps in their spiritual journeys. It's good. Journeys. See what I did there? I That's do. Yeah. <laughs> awkward wink, y'all, if you're just so, listening. So the church I mentioned in, in a segue uh, affirms – the Lordship of Christ affirms the literal death and resurrection of Christ, um, affirms the literal second coming of Christ. Other than those things, you all would probably be uh, a little uncomfortable. repulsed by how progressive they are. But they at least affirm those orthodox, biblically, yeah. like the most fundamental bedrock gospel things we said Paul yeah. mentioned earlier, right? Um, so this is not that. I wanted to clarify that. But um, I completely agree. People have spiritual needs. People have community needs. I've asked people for 10 years. Man, if I didn't have church, where would I meet mm-hmm. and make friendships, form the bar? Like where, mm-hmm. you know, where? Um, so that this this is an attempt to scratch that need with no with no meat on the bones, yeah. for sure. Um, but I do think it's growing probably faster than you. I mean, I know a lot of people, a lot of, again, a lot of my non-Christian friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't miss church, but I really miss yeah. youth group. Yeah. I really miss right. hanging miss out. I miss yeah. the pool party. I miss the... Well, I, I mean, Houston has what? I don't know, 5 million people, 8 million people, 3 million people. There's, oa- there's Oasis and there's some Unitarian Universalist churches, many many of which are struggling. So I... I oh, there's so... Yeah, there's more than... I'm not going to okay. name them here. Some of them have like blackballed theology by the pint because we're so mean and terrible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But I just... The white pill sort of approach to this, I think, is is going to sound harsh, that I noticed not just that people are looking for community, but people are looking, they use the word ritual. I think yeah. it's interesting that, and maybe this is just because I've started going to a really high liturgy church and I'm thinking about these kind of things. Um, I think there's, it's more than a, a yearning for community. I think there's something built into us. The Bible says eternity is in our hearts, right? Like we, 
No, deep down, there's more to life than this. I'm mm. meant for more than this. My life has meaning beyond the, going to work and paying taxes and all that kind of stuff. And even friendships and even the love stories that I have here, like there's something bigger. And people are seeking out community, but ritual, ceremony. And I think we should pay attention to that. And the this is the last thing I'll say. I promise I'll be quiet after this. When people start um, saying like, well, I don't think Christ would hate this. Or if I'm teaching about Revelation 2 and 3, I don't think Christ would hate that. No, he absolutely does hate it. And here's why. Because God, as a we're all we're all parents, parents to be. Um, the way that you love your child, can you imagine if you had a child that you loved um and then you watched them go off and call someone else their parent mm. or right? Or That's be right. part of someone else's family. Right. You would be enraged and, and hurt just, and hurt and and yeah desperately hurt yeah. and you would do anything to get them back right um i think that's how god feels i think that's how jesus feels about his bride i think that's how god feels about his children whatever metaphor works for you this makes god angry and it should make us angry too um not because we we can't go in and storm in there and like make the church not exist anymore but i think we can be a little bit more assertive about the gospel that we preach and then it's not this watered down thing. It's like, it is a life. It's mm. life. It's freedom. It's, it's joy. It's rescue. Like, it's not this, like, we can all get along and find community. I love community. But the best community is Christ's community. Anyway, I'm done. Sarah, I yeah. agree 10,000% with everything you just said. Oh, are we friends now? We've always been friends. I have a provocative <laughs> question. Yeah. And I really am not pushing an agenda. I want to know. Oh, okay. You mentioned some cultural idols this reminded you of... Um, Emperor, or what'd you say? I said uh, the Baal. Cult. Someone said Baal. Yeah. Emperor cult. Okay. Are we just, I'm offended by this. I'm with <laughs> all of us on this. Okay. Offended uh, by what? I'm by what I'm the, just The saying. universalists, you can believe oh, okay. anything you want about Jesus. Church. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I agree with the offense. Is it equally as offensive when you walk into a traditional Baptist church? I'll just use that example because I come from that world. And they say the Pledge of Allegiance in the pews of a church. It's not equally offensive. I don't like when people do that, but it's not equally offensive because it's not pull. That's not because you're proclaiming people away, but you are proclaiming Jesus as Lord verbally and then offering your allegiance to Caesar. I mean, it's real gross, but like our church is actually pledging allegiance. I've seen the American flag in a church. I'm Never offended. By, I'm offended by that too, and that rightfully so. But <laughs> but pledging allegiance. I don't. Does that actually happen? Have you ever yes. heard of that actually? Happening? It happened yeah. at the Robert uh, Jeffers Church. Uh, that happened at multiple vacation Bible schools at multiple churches I have been employed at. Huh. Well, I think that's it does not nice. happen at my current employer. Yeah, I, th yeah. I think that is inappropriate for yes. sure. I think American flag should not be in churches. It's certainly against Lutheran practice. We have one on our lawn. You know, I mean, we years ago had a patriotic member who who said i'm going to pay money for a flag designated funds man long, <laughs> that's right <laughs> long, long before i was here uh you know i you know um i'm a proud american you know so uh i'm i'm i think outside the church is one thing inside the church is something else i agree pledge of allegiance is you know because that's kind of part of what we do in christianity is we pledge you right. know, mm -hmm. we, we pledge our life to Christ. Yes. Exactly. You know? exactly. And so I do think that's a problem. I think you can pledge allegiance to a country mm -hmm. and pledge allegiance to God. Yep. So long as those things are compatible, right. yep. you know, there's like kind of a neutrality with the, you know, one that doesn't interrupt your full allegiance with the other. But, right. Right. Um, yeah. Good. I'm so, glad that was really amenable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's argue about something else. What do we well, got next? I, this, this kind of ties in to to that which it's actually not an article it's just a tweet or an ex post or whatever 
Um, and it's data. I love data. Y'all love data, right? So basically, it, it says love this. It. says this. In 1972, 23% of all Americans were white Protestant Democrats. 17% of all Americans were white Catholic Democrats. In 2022, 7% of all Americans were white Protestant Democrats and 6% were white Catholic Democrats. So if we combine those, 40% of every American in 1972 was a white Democrat, Protestant, or Catholic, and today it's 13%. That is a very, very, very steep decline. That is a cultural revolution-esque number, you know. And so the question is, um, not to make it about race, I mean, their their tagline is white liberal Christians are an endangered species. And again, if you if you look at the data, you look at the decline of the mainline Protestant churches, um, you know, and this does tie into the previous article and the and the he gets us article. Um, it's a precipitous decline. I mean, white, you know, it's no secret that mainline Protestant churches are, you know, basically on the verge of death. Um, and so the question, though, that's interesting to me is, well, why? What what affected the change? You know, what happened since 1972? What happened in the last 50 years? And my basic argument would be that, you know, um, the left, uh, the, the, the leftist ideology is a substitute uh, for the Christian doctrine. It's an alternative worldview. It has hmm. a value system, um, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, you know, the, the government, in, in a sense, becomes a God replacement through, you know, redistribution of wealth and, you know, giving people meaning and all of that. Um, but basically, at the end of the day, um, the demands that Christ places upon you um, are are such that uh, it's incompatible, I, I would argue, uh, with a, a kind of a leftist way of seeing the world. And so, naturally, you see this kind of um, this kind of just Exodus. disappearance. You know, there's really nothing. Um, is, they're just incompatible at the end of the day, I, and I think the data bears that out. I don't think we can make any statements based on that data alone. Uh, Ryan Burge, I want to give Ryan credit because you didn't mention him by name. Ryan Burge is brilliant. I've used his research in all sorts of projects for Texas Baptists, uh, youth study, all sorts of stuff. He's brilliant. Uh, great Twitter account to follow. Uh, I'd be curious. So there's a lot of categories there. Mm-hmm. Uh, America's gotten less white in 50 years. Yeah. So Goodness. some of the drop off is that. Yeah. America's gotten less Christian overall. The only mm-hmm. denomination that's grown over the last 20 years is Assemblies of God. Every other denomination, Southern Baptist included, uh, has has shrunk. Yep. So, so I think a huge part of that number is just um, diversity yeah. and less religious. I'd be curious or to see- Or at least we have to withhold judgment without seeing Without seeing the other data, it. exactly. I'd be curious, and that's what I was going to say. I'd be I curious don't think Evan's see. wrong. I think yeah. some of the dynamics are probably at play, but- Well, and the mainline church stuff is- Fact, right? right. But yeah. I'd be curious to see that next to, you know, white, uh, Republican, yeah. uh, Protestant. Uh, yeah. 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 I'd just be curious to see those numbers play together yeah. to know to have more information. Yeah, yeah. fair That's point. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's all. It's just a factoid. Um, that I, I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, you're, you're, there are certain values in the Democrat party because this is specifically political, but, you know, there are, there are particular values in the Democrat party that I would say are incompatible, you know, so. Whether it's the incompatible with a Christian worldview, both, with, both parties. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, for sure. Um, <laughs> however, there's a pretty marked difference between particular Democrat Party platforms uh, from, say, Republican Party platforms. 
but I personally pretty much hate both parties. I think <laughs> both of them hate me. Um, and, and they're, they're, well, at least they're, it's an equal opportunity to right. fast over They're against here. my well-being. I think they're but pretty Jesus much all you. crooks and liars. Oh, I sure they are. Um, yes, but in general, the, you know, I mean, abortion is obviously a major issue. Marriage is a major issue. In theory, um, one party is decidedly more, I could, I think I can make a, convincing argument one party is decidedly less for god and hostile to god and definitely the revelation of the scripture uh as something like an infallible rule for life than another generally speaking i'm curious when you said the thing about assemblies of god is is that growing the fastest because they're having so many children i'm not making a joke here's that part of it here's actually why i think i'm not lying to you i think it's because they're conservative biblically but they affirm women okay which is the biblical take all right. Well, we're not going to get into that here, even though I think I we're on the same team on that. They, but. they are biblically conservative, and they allow women to express their gifts in church in all roles of leadership. Well, my denomination, that is my, my yeah. every every mainline so liberal Protestant. Well, they're not biblically conservative. Okay, but I would say the denomination I'm in currently is yeah. I would say biblically conservative, but ordains women. So maybe that maybe, and I would wonder if that's something of liturgical versus free church expression. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But yeah. it's curious. That's that's an interesting study. Yeah. I might look into that, but uh, they also do have a lot of kids. If I can venture a couple of guesses, that's probably true. It's also the, I would imagine, a lot of the immigrant population mm-hmm. because Great call, yeah. uh, the center of Christianity, we know this, is no longer Europe. It's no longer North America. It's Asia, Africa, mm-hmm. Latin America. And the predominant form of Christianity exploding in those areas, areas is the charismatic movement. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are likely immigrants bringing that uh, with them. Mm-hmm. Also... As a church planter, I have to give a plug for church planting. One of the things that AG does really, really well is they are very, very um, evangelistic, uh, committed to church planting. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Neat. Cool. Let's go. Yeah. White pill. <laughs> White Those pill. Those are just guesses. Well, I, I, he mentioned I migrants. Right. Is that, right. I'm trying to think of a cool segue to everything. Yeah. Well, actually, that is a great segue. But I, w- I would say this. Um, in general, I think there is a kind of sifting that's that's going on, and I think those three articles kind of speak to that, where, mm. you know, the, the church is basically saying, well, who are we, and what do we believe, mm-hmm. and what does that look like, and, you know, so I'm not saying the, you know, Republicans or whatever, but I, I do think people will say things like that with kind of this, like, nostalgia in their voice, like, I just wish, you know, it could be like in the old days where we could just go to church, and like, I don't know if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's like, those days are over because of the fissure mm. in the culture, the culture war is real, and, and it, it you know, in 1972, yes, you could be at a conservative church, and half the people were Democrats and half were Republicans. At the same time, I mean, even if you look at, sorry to go back to JFK, but... <laughs> If, j- Everyone just, take a drink. Just as an example, okay, JFK okay. was a, a, a liberal, an East Coast liberal Democrat. LBJ was a conservative Democrat. Way, probably way more conservative than me by almost any metric, you know, as, as we define conservative. So, um, so, so in the Democrat Party in those days, you could be a very conservative people. In fact, you could be a segregationist. In fact, you almost certainly were a segregationist <laughs> at, at that time, uh, in, in the, as a Southern Democrat. So the idea is that if that's considered conservative, right? But the, the point is that, um, those are the good old days, right? Where that didn't matter. Those days are over. I think that should be pretty obvious to everyone. The Democrat Party openly uh, calls for abortion at any level, pretty much at this point. There's a re- no restriction on abortion. There's no understanding of male, female. I mean, gender is out the window. Marriage is out the window. Being pro-family is out the window. Um, both parties spend, uh, they steal from me. They, they steal my money and they steal my children's future by spending money that we don't have. 
Um, and there's there's other things too, but I think you can make a pretty good convincing argument that the, the good old days where kind of the parties at this point represent fundamentally different worldviews that are totally incompatible. Here's the primary place I disagree with you. I yeah. serve at a church where roughly 35 to 40% of the congregation's Democrat and roughly 60% of the congregation's probably Republican. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we get along great and we study the Bible and we are all trying to follow Jesus together. Yeah. And we don't, we don't talk politics. Uh, it came up one time in a book study a couple years ago and it was a blast <laughs> to be in that room. Um, but I still think, I think the hope of church is we can still share the table. Hmm. Yeah. And Patrick Hall, um, who used to be more active with theology, by the pint, Dale John Tap at that time. I mean, he would say to his churches, yeah. similarly has a similar demographic. And to the extent that it's possible, I think uh, I would I would say churches that are able to do that, they probably don't talk about politics. We don't. Also, if you're not talking about politics in some manner, you're not really talking about the culture. It's hmm. it, it, it's unavoidable. Yeah. I mean, you're I you're, you're basically punting on every major issue that people are confronting. Not I'm not not that, saying that as an accusation, but. Uh, and, and that's basically what, what every seminary will tell you. That's what every bishop will tell you. Hey, don't talk politics. Uh, well, tell me what's political. Define political. Is immigration political? Yeah. Oh, okay. Can't talk about that. Is abortion political? Yeah. Oh, can't talk about well, that. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, 30, 40 plus years ago, um, a lot of the fights between the parties were about things like taxation and mm-hmm. how d- domestic versus international, how we're going to deal with other, that kind of thing. And so much of it now has become things like, is what is gender and mm, um, ideological? You know what I mean. What, what about it's a lot of huh? What about war? Is war political? Yeah. So Christians should never talk about war. We're not to be peacemakers. You know, I'm just asking. I'm, I mean, I mean, I, we live in times where everything has been politicized. Everything. Yeah. I mean, our private lives, our our finances, our I mean, everything. I mean, the cars we drive. Everything yeah. is politicized. And Everything. I, and I guess what, what what our church would say, and I think what a lot of churches I'm familiar with would say is, um, we need to have this discussion around tables. You know, mm-hmm. the pulpit is not the place to yeah. to make a proclamation and potentially uh, be divisive. It's can I get in a room with you three, sit around a table, have a discussion to explore these things and uh, around the Bible in a deeper way that we yeah. can't do in a room of 800 people. My question is, at what point is that a dereliction of duty, though? Because if you if you look at say slavery. I mean, mm-hmm. d- sure. did they not need to thunder from the pulpit? Yes. Slavery is wrong. Yes. 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 And you agree with me about that. So, yes. I, 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 so I, I'm yeah. curious, Scotty, if your pastor got up and preached a sermon and part of, and it was a sermon about. I won't, I won't speak for my senior pastor, but I, I no, can. No, no, no. I'm just. I can give you my Yeah. If, Any pastor. If one that shared your values were in a position where the pastor gave a sermon about the value of life and yeah. how we live in a culture of death, but God is offering us a culture of life and said explicitly from the sermon that abortion is morally wrong and, um, and goes against our Christian worldview. Do you think that's inappropriate? I, if I not were, saying who to vote for, but just saying the mm-hmm, thing about abortion. Mm-hmm. If I were preaching that sermon, I would just, I would speak, I would, I would speak both sides of the issue. You'd speak both sides of the so issue. So I'd say, so I'd, or not the issue, but so I, if, if I'm going to get up and publicly, uh, this is all hypothetical. If I'm going to get up and say from the pulpit, abortion is wrong, then I'm also going to say, um, you know, that locking migrants up in cells like animals is wrong. Okay. But that's right? not the same issue. Because it, they're both pro-life issues. Or I'm going to say, I'm going to well, say, hey, or, well, when you say or, you're going to say or, both sides. Or rather than, rather than 
making a political statement, I'm going to say, do you want to do something about abortion? Does abortion break your heart? Okay. Go adopt, go foster, look at all the foster kids in foster care that have no families in our country. But that's be not a, the other part side. Of the solution. That's part of but, the culture of life. But I, I, correct. I want to, I want to compel people to follow Jesus and love, um, to answer the issues with action. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're saying yes and to my question. Like, yes, it would be appropriate. And I would want to. Because I am, I am not going to take a political side from the pulpit. No. So saying abortion is wrong, is that taking a political Always? side? The perception. Always? Is mother's life in danger? Is, I Come mean, you understand. On. No, no, no. You know what but I you mean understand. When I say that. You understand. We, when we get up and make declarations from the pulpit, we don't have room for the nuance needed to okay, talk about. Let's just say for this hypothetical that about. you can make those nuances. Give, give all the nuances. But my question is, is it appropriate to say from the pulpit that something like abortion, and I'm using abortion because I think we all I, agree about that, is wrong, morally wrong? I'm, if I'm in a pulpit, again, I'm speaking only for myself, hypothetically. Lord I, have mercy. I am, if I am going to get that specific about culturally sensitive issues, I am, I'm going to make sure everyone in the room knows that there's somewhere that they need to move towards Jesus. And yeah. so, so by choosing abortion, I'm choosing as I, I do agree with you, but I'm choosing a side of a political issue. And so I'm going to also speak on how we can be pro-life over here. Agreed. And I think the, the pastors that were anti-slavery, I mean, we're probably calling people to action for that. So I love the call to action, but it almost sounds like it, it sounds equivocating, but then when you give examples, it doesn't sound equivocating. Like, yes, tell people to foster. Yes, tell people to show compassion. So, and, and yeah. S- s- <laughs> I know we're on a, it, it, but this is the question that comes up so, so much when so, we do these. So I would podcasts, say, right? I would say poor families that can't afford to buy their kids insulin because of drug costs in our country. That is not pro life. We need to make insulin free for people that have diabetes, right? Like, and, but that would be progressive. But I would say, if we value life and we value children and we value children's ability to grow up, we can, I mean, again, I should, should water be free? Yeah. What that, about food? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Devin. Well, well, no, no. I mean, kind of critical I, to life. I, right? I mean, it, you got to eat. Well, okay. Well, let's go down the list. Unless you're fasting during life. Is transportation critical? Is housing critical? Is clothing critical? I mean, you, when, when people say, well, this should be free. Well, okay. By, by, by what, by what, like a gun to the head, like the government goes to every pharmaceutical. I mean, it's kind of what the communists did, right? Make more, make more wheat. Then they starve to death. So it didn't, didn't really work out. Now, do I do, I don't know that one guy that like jacked up prices on insulin. Is he some, you know, some great guy? No. Uh, that is, that is, and, and, and do I defend the version of quote unquote capitalism that our country supposedly currently engages in? No. Um, where we have the government that picks winners and losers and it's corrupt up and down the line. Um, I'm more of an 1890s capitalist America kind of guy, um, you know, pre-income tax, pre-regulation, et cetera. But um, yeah, but it's like if, you, if you're going to say like, well, if it's absolutely necessary to life, then it must be free. Well, water is necessary for life and food is necessary for life. And if you demand it for free, then no one will make any of it. Like no one will grow you a cucumber if you don't pay them for it. And, and if the government sets a, a price on how much a cucumber will cost, it will be the wrong price or you'll end up with 
you know, a thousand cucumbers for every one. Uh, you know, how you know, do we get to talking about cucumbers? Oh, you know how, because you said the thing about insulin. I, by the way, <laughs> the reason why I went down that rabbit hole and then you take it away with the next article is just because so many of the things we talk about on these kind of political podcasts, we get to the question, like, should the church be talking about this? And yeah. you say we should be talking about it around tables. 100% we should. Small groups. And I also think there are spaces, maybe not about every political thing. We don't need to talk about tax. But the trained you pastor know, theologians is, but, in right. the congregation. I right. just think, I just think, right. I just think every single one of us is wrong. Every single no. one of us is wrong. N.T. Wright, not, N.T. Wright says at least 20% <laughs> no. of my theology is totally wrong. I just don't know which 20%. Okay. I don't think I'm right about everything. I think, well, I I think, you, guys, I think you guys are right about things I'm wrong about. But I think I'm right about sure. things you guys are wrong about. Slavery is definitely wrong, right? So, so, so <laughs> let's, definitely wrong, let's right? sit around tables with no, people who no, disagree see, this with is, us. This gets back to the he gets us. It's just endless conversation. What is the point? Jesus spoke with authority. There was absolute clarity. Jesus, didn't, hated him Jesus didn't speak about everything. No, but, but he gave us an ethic by which to live and a model by which to live and, uh -huh. and a, uh, you mean like a law and, and, and <laughs> that's an what eth ethics are. <laughs> right. But yeah. we've already argued multiple times about how we, we all pick and choose from the law. So let's not go there. But here's the thing. All three of you <laughs> preach on Sunday mornings, not What's every Sunday morning. You always, you yes. preach. Somebody at your church preaches. There's a decision that you're going to preach something from the pulpit. And yes, we should preach with humility that we we don't know everything. And, and later we might come back and say we were wrong about something. But you still preach with conviction. You preach things like the gospel, the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus, mm -hmm. right? You preach about those things because right now you think people need to know that. I'm just saying, is there space for preaching other Here's things? Here's my question. Did the apostles in the early church preach against Rome? I they, don't know if they yes. preached against Rome, but they definitely Where? preached against Christ God. is Lord. Oh, okay. See, I'll preach that. You know, it's the it's the pinch of incense, right? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's hey, you know, you can have Christ, but you got to say to Caesar's get into God the, too. Yeah. So yes, that's good. All right, we can move okay, on. Let's go straight to Dave Grohl because we've gone we've gone past and and uh, <laughs> I've talked a lot. So uh, we'll skip the we'll skip the article about migrants now living in people's homes, um, which is interesting and ties into a lot of what we talked about. But let's kind of end. Let's try to end on a on a happier note. <laughs> uh, so Scotty, take it away. Man, okay, so I think my very first appearance on White Pill Radio, I talked about Blink-182. So you guys know I like rock and roll. Uh, you may not know I'm a pit master in my spare time. I like barbecue. And I like serving homeless people. I think Jesus tells us to do that. So saw this article that uh, during this 2024 Super Bowl, Dave Grohl barbecued for more than 24 hours to feed homeless in Los Angeles. He did this in partnership with a nonprofit called Hope the Mission. I looked up their website. I did not scour it as carefully as you guys scoured. He gets us. But I saw they are affiliated with the church. They were actually started by a Lutheran church. Evan, I, I did not see which one or who mm -hmm. they're affiliated with. But it is a Christian-adjacent nonprofit ministry. Um, and I'm just encouraged, man. I, I, uh, I said earlier, we need to be doing the work. And Christians need to stop yelling about things online and get out and love our neighbors. And Dave Grohl is not a believer. I have no illusion that he's a believer. Um, that would be really cool if he was, because uh, he is a talented, talented dude. Um, but I love seeing one of my favorite rock stars do my favorite hobby uh, to serve people mm -hmm. in his community in partnership with the church. Um, and... Uh, here's, I think the question I, and I do not, I'm not going to share my opinion. I want to hear your opinion. Um, I, I have heard people say things, statements, vague, broad statements, such as, well, if we do the right thing, but we're not doing it for Jesus, it's not the right thing. 
Hmm. Well, or well, we can all do the right thing for the wrong reason. And if you're not really doing it because Jesus said so, then you're not really doing the right thing. And I don't know. I I read articles like this and I'm like, there's Dave Dave Grohl doing a good thing. Well, Jesus answers that, you know, because the disciples come to him and say, hey, there's people casting out. Doing miracles. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, if you're not against me, then you're for me. There we go. So I I think the answer is yes. I'm happy. There's there's also two types of righteousness. Lutherans talk about two types of righteousness, civic righteousness, Hmm. and then this, you know, spiritual alien righteousness, you know, so the, the righteousness of, you know, mowing your lawn, you know, being a good neighbor, feeding the homeless, that sort of thing. That's good. You know, even if it's mm-hmm. done by unbelievers, That's there's, good. there's no criticism of that. Um, in my, and, and, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm glad people like Dave Grohl, you know, do things like this. I'm glad there's this kind of social consciousness, this sort of social awareness. Um, I, I have gotten very, very cynical though about, uh, whether or not there's an actual will to end homelessness. And I'm, hmm. there's an actual what? Will. Okay. To end homelessness. And hmm. I'm basically convinced there is not. Hmm. It's a, essentially money laundering um, operation where big, big, big bucks goes from the federal and state governments to ministries, and it just circles around. And no, hmm. nothing. And, and all we're doing is facilitating homelessness. Hmm. We're actually feeding people three three times a day and giving them tents to to facilitate living on the streets. And we'll clean up their mess. And San Francisco, oh, San Francisco, uh, man. Oof. You know, we were on the bus uh, years ago, and there was someone there whose job, you know, they had like the the needle syringes. Yeah, the receptacles. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they went around and picked up needles, and it, it, it it's, mm. it's when, when you basically say it's totally fine to be homeless as you're a victim uh, of your circumstances. There's nothing you know you can do about it. We'll take care of you. You know they're putting, uh, you know, uh, this deals with the migration crisis as well. Um, you know, hotels are jammed. Uh, people can't find a place to live. I know someone who was a state's uh, rep in Kansas, and she would go periodically to the Topeka or wherever the capital is, I think, to uh, legislate. And her hotel was totally full. She didn't have anywhere to stay when she, you know, because it was full of, you know, migrants or whatever. So it's like, I, 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 what we actually need to do is work with individuals and, uh, we demand amendment of life if that's what needs to happen for them to get off the street into a home. Okay. Uh, you can hit, you can throw a stove from where a, st- mm-hmm. a stone from where we are sitting right now. There was a 149 bed place right there. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, 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 a pr- temporary, I don't know how to say it, like adjustment. Um, like at the halfway house kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, but to be in it, you obviously have to follow the rules and be sober, et cetera. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad for things like that. I hope it helps people transition into being a homed person, if that's how we say it. Housed. Housed. Thank you. Um, I am, I'm glad for Dave Grohl doing this. However, it wasn't that long ago that, say, Gavin Newsom said, I've got a 10 year plan to eradicate homelessness. And I don't know if you know this, but California has a homeless problem right now. <clears throat> so, um, and, and let's look at the war on poverty. Oh, we're going to end poverty. We're going to fight a war on poverty. Mm. Mm. How's that worked out? It, so the solutions to these sorts of complex problems are individual. Their solutions they they vary for person people are homeless for different reasons the idea that there's a kind of a mu- amount of money you can spend on it right it's it's not true so i mean i don't want to say anything bad about you know dave Grohl. i guess uh, you know by the way y'all know what a foo fighter is you know that gets its word no yep, yep. it's from world war Two. Yeah, yeah yeah it's like a kind of an apparition that american pilots said they saw the ufo yeah ufo basically yeah Ooh. anyway thoughts of nazi uh it, 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 it jumps in technology it's a conspiracy theory. Um, 
I don't adhere to it. I'm just putting out there. You know, so, Dave Grohl hates the name too. He hates that. Oh, does he? That he has said on record. I I named it. I named the because it was the record he named Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. When he did the whole first record by himself, and then when that record popped off, that became the the artist's oh, okay. name. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So I don't know. I I think we need to rethink. Well, how we do it? It's a here's here's classic Scotty theology, right? It's both and, right? Like we have to meet immediate needs. We mm-hmm. have to house people. We have to get feed people. We have to. We are compelled by Christ to do so. If you say I'll pray for you and you don't give them something to eat, what are you doing, right? Right. Um, but would totally agree. My, one of my heroes in ministry is Jimmy Doral, who's been doing this in Waco for forty plus years. Um, helping both immediate needs and sustainable life change, community development type type change. So, um, but anyway, love seeing my favorite rocker um, do some good. Wish wish more believers would jump into this kind of work as part of our routine and our rhythm. Scotty, See, I'm, you I'm make a really good brisket and I am often hungry. Thank you. So I think that you should put your money where your mouth is and make brisket for us next time you come on the podcast. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Theology by the Pint buys the brisket, which is going to be 70 bucks, and I will gladly smoke it and serve it anytime. Okay, we'll talk, we'll talk. Do you have any thoughts as a pastor, Mace? I tease Mace because one of the first podcasts he came on, he kept saying, well, as a pastor, so now it's become like a joke. I actually didn't even know how many times he said it, but. I don't know. Uh, I want barbecue now. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm hungry. Well. I mean, I will say. Pulled pork is pretty easy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, it is. You were saying you were saying brisket. No, I mean your brisket's hard. I'm pulled pork. What Dave Roll's doing? I mean, like any. Oh, could. you're giving pulled pork is more credit. no, no, no. Pulled pork is the simplest yeah. meat to smoke, especially yeah. if you want to feed a, b- a bunch of people. Um, and for it's our cheap. for our, uh, the Sunday after Easter, come to Sugarland Baptist Church. We will serve a church wide barbecue. Anyone that comes is welcome to eat. We will have forty briskets and s- enough uh, pulled pork for everybody to have as much as they want. Wow. wow. Cool. So awesome. we'll we'll do both at SWC. Yeah. All right. Well, that's where people can find you. That's right. Shout uh, that out one more time. Scotty Swingler, student pastor at Sugarland Baptist Church. I'm off social media for Lent, so don't come follow me. But um, but you can physically go there on a would Sunday. Love, would but love as to of see you. March 31st, I think Easter is this year. You'll be back on. All that's right. right. That's right. Uh, yeah, Mace Perez, the Journey Church Houston. Uh, Thejourneyhouston.org is our website. I'm Sarah Stone. You can find information about me out on our page, theologybythepint.org. That's all I got. And I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor at First Lutheran, flhouston.org. Check us out there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, check us out whenever we're back. And until then, uh, let's see. Question freely, mm-hmm. think deeply, and disagree as needed. <laughs>